Hello, Cameron. <laughs> Hello, Chris. How are you? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Natureversity's podcast. This is a podcast that is desi- dedicated to the preservation of wisdom of the earth. So we love to chat with teachers and students and outdoor survival professionals. And uh, my name is Chris, and I am here with Cameron Johnson, who is one of our fantastic outdoor educators at Natureversity here in Austin, Texas. And today is just a nice long chat with Cameron all about his life and how he got here. So Cameron, um, tell us about yourself. Well, right now I am uh, twenty, about to turn 28. I keep saying I'm 28. You ever do that? You yes. Like age yourself up? <laughs> yes. Especially as you get older. Yeah. So I'm about to turn 28 uh, in June. So actually less, almost less than a month's time. Mm-hmm. And for most of my life... Uh, I spent it in the small confines of <laughs> the Northeast and the state of Rhode Island. So you're born in Rhode Island? Born and raised. Wow. What's the city? Uh, so <laughs> the one city everybody knows is obviously Providence. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the capital? It is also okay. the capital, yeah. Uh, for, for myself, I actually lived on the outskirts of Providence when I was growing up in a small town called Lincoln. Lincoln. Really okay. small. Um, With population size. You couldn't could even tell could me. Even tell, even yeah. tell me. It's, not, it's, it's not that small where, like, it's a super small population size. But, you know, now that I'm here in Austin, I'm just seeing, like, yeah. how small it actually is compared to a city like this. Yeah. You know? What's the biggest city you've ever been to? Biggest city I've ever been to? New York. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. I've been to a lot of big cities, but okay. I, do, I, don't, I don't go to big cities yeah. very much. It's not my thing. Even here in Austin, I, don't, I hate going downtown. So, so this is basically the biggest city you've ever lived in is Austin? Hands down. Nice. nice. Hands down. So you were born in Rhode Island, in Lincoln, and is that where you grew up predominantly? Uh, Yes. I I actually was born in the southern part of the state in the South County, Wakefield area, but I grew up in Lincoln. Um, Beautiful, beautiful dead-end street, you know, end of the the road with a huge, well, I I traveled back through it recently. It's, It's not as large as I remember when I was a kid, but everything when you're a kid is huge. You know, this, this expansive area where we could just travel through. There was a stream. I had a, my best friend lived a two-minute walk through the woods. And we just happened to run into each other in the backwoods when I was, like, five. He was four. And we'd constantly just run through there, meet up, play in the stream, uh, come down to one of our houses or go up to his house and uh, break out, like, our action figures and be running through the forest. Um, we always try and build forts. I remember one time we tried to dig through the earth one time. Oh, to the other side of the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we all tried that. Oh, yeah. I, ho- I would hope every kid tried that. <laughs> Got, like, six inches in and went, nah, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here in Texas, it's all limestone on this part where we live, so you get two inches down. It's like, nope, you ain't going no further with this limestone <laughs> in your way. So so you were outside a lot growing up. And yeah. And at what point... Um, you know, because that's kind of how similar it was with me growing up. I was outside a lot, but then as soon as I got to public school, I think the, I don't know, the pressures of fitting in and being cool and all that hit me. And how did that go with you? Did you maintain, like, a connection with nature through public school? Did you go to public school? I went to public school. Um, so, for, let's see, so up until seventh grade, I was in public schooling. Um, I was always very active. Uh, my parents had me involved with martial arts um, from the time I was five due to mm-hmm. heavy ADD, not heavy ADD issues, but pretty, pretty severe in, at least in classrooms, uh, attention problems. Yeah. And karate was like a really good place for that. But they also found that hiking and being active and getting outdoors was always a hundred percent one of the best ways to handle that as well. Oh yeah. And so every summer I'd be at a multitude of summer camps, um, in Rhode Island, we actually used to have something which was out of the University of Rhode Island. It was actually a summer camp hosted for kids, and I am failing at the the name right now. It shut down a couple of years ago, unfortunately. Um, but it was it was really awesome. It was a week long. You'd go out. You'd camp out in cabins. Um, the first time I went, it was two days on site at this place, and then they actually took you out in vans, dropped you off, and you hiked 50 miles back over the course of the next three days. Nice. And... When it came to my other camps, that I uh, the next year I did a canoeing one. It was a three-day canoe trip as opposed to um, hiking. And then I also would attend every single summer um, 
it was called Zoo Camp, and it was at Roger Williams Park Zoo, which I grew up at, basically. My mom worked there, and we'd just go in as kids and get to walk around the zoo with our grandmother. That's cool. Yeah. That's like every kid's dream to just live at a zoo. <laughs> you get to uh, do anything behind the scenes, like yep. at the zoo? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell um, us about that. So a lot of, a lot of the... A lot of the people who worked in the offices would get like gifts from other members of the zoo, which was a behind-the-scenes tour. And so we saw a lot of different uh, scenes there. Um, back when the Roger Williams Park Zoo actually had polar bears, we got to go into the back half of their exhibit and see like the behind-the-scenes, the polar bears in their back cages. Um, we got to see, let's see, the snow leopards. Uh, wow. we've, we got to see the cheetahs um, back. Before, so now in the zoo, they have like free giraffe, not free, but you can pay to feed the giraffes just as part of any of the public. But we got to feed the giraffes before that, um, back when that wasn't a thing. And then we've also fed the elephants, mm. um, which was a huge treat for me because that was my favorite animal growing up and still is my favorite animal to this day. Yeah. Um, How do you feel about them? Do you feel zoos are an appropriate expression of engagement with wildlife or... You know, because being here at Nature City, like I always say to the kids and to y'all, I always say, you know, we want to meet these animals on their terms, you know. Um, so how do you feel about zoos now? Or is it still something that you're... Uh, so I think it all comes down to the reason that the animal is in the zoo. Um, at Roger Williams Park Zoo, the m- I'd say... The majority of the animals, if not all, either were born in captivity and came from other zoos and or were rescues. Mm. Um, if you look at the, to talk back to the elephants, yeah. uh, the three elephants were in, I can't remember right now off the top of my head what the situation was, but they were in a really bad situation. And to this day, one of them still actually comforts herself by doing what what elephants do is it, when they're stressed is they rock mm. and it's a coping mechanism that actually is developed through these these high impact and high stress environments that they happen to be in um, and and this is now almost 30 years later that they're still there they've been at Roger Williams and they still have these issues from from such a long time ago um, so I think if they're rescuing animals and then it's at the point where they they either can't you know, re-release them back out into the world. Um, or, you know, they were born and bred in captivity at other zoos and they just needed somewhere them, for them to go. I think that's the best way to go about that. You know, and obviously we want, I, I personally think that animals should be as wild as possible. Yeah. I feel like they deserve to live their best lives. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's not possible in the wild. Like yeah. look at the red wolves. So Roger Williams Park Zoo has two red wolves. And the red wolf population, as of right now, in the wild is 35. Yeah. In captivity, they have somewhere in the vicinity of 208, I think. <laughs> um, it, it's one of those ones I, I check up on. because It's, it's it, crazy, right? Yeah. Um, but the fact that those two, for a very long time, were a breeding pair at the zoo was, was incredibly important to that population. And, and the biggest issue is, is that red wolves are often mistaken for coyotes. Um, and farmers in the areas that they remain, which is a small area, I believe, I want to say North Carolina, yeah. right on the coast, mm-hmm. uh, they were just killing them because they uh, uh, because they have the right to kill coyotes on their property if they're harassing uh, their livestock. But they would just say, I thought it was a coyote. Yeah. A- and it would be another dead red wolf. Um, Texas had uh, a native wolf, which was the red wolf. And now they're gone. And it's no longer too. here. Yeah. Right. Um, well, that's good. So I, I feel the sentiment there, and I share that, that you feel like if a uh, you know, opportunity for kids and families to meet animals is there because the animal is going to live its best life in this captive facility, then, yeah, then it makes sense. I, I agree. I would agree with that. But, yeah, I, I, I guess it brings me back to uh, think about things like, uh, what was it, Barnum and Bailey Circus and, you know, Shamu and SeaWorld and yep. how they would go out and extract those animals from the wild and then the way they would treat them, you know, uh, oh accordingly. God, the, the habitat they kept yeah. Shamu in and, and all the orcas down at right. SeaWorld. You know, it's no wonder why they killed people. Yeah. So, yeah, that's I've, I've been just 
trying to get the kids to always, like I said earlier, meet them on their terms. Go sneak up on them and, you know, hide and watch them from a distance. And that's really why I think hunting is so vital of a skill for us as humans because it's not only, you know, obviously sustenance, but it's also a way to get to connect with nature, it's almost like a gigantic long sit spot all the time because hunters tell us stories all the time of, well, you never believe what I saw in the woods while hunting the other day. And it's just amazing. So yeah, getting to know animals on their terms. It's either that or I sat in my blind for five hours and saw nothing. (laughs) It depends on on where you're at hunting, I think, because certain states, yeah, it's kind of crazy. You'll see like, (laughs) I saw like four you know, grizzlies and one deer. <laughs> and you're like, what? Um, but yeah, that's good. So you so you grew up in Providence. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Rhode Island. Yep. Um, and the zoo, where was that zoo at? What state was that in? It was in Rhode Island. Oh, it was in Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's dedicated to Roger Williams, who is the, uh, the park is dedicated to Roger Williams, who was the founding father of Rhode Island. Yeah, um, my apologies. I'm sitting here thinking fine. that Rhode nope. Island cannot even be big enough to have a zoo. <laughs> Rhode Island is the size of Boston. It's so crazy. Um, so that's cool. And so with this, that kind of led you down this path to be more interested in learning about animals. And how did that carry over as you got older into high school and college and all that? Where, what Getting into my, my older years, um, I definitely lost touch, I want to say, with with being outdoors, um, particularly in college, you know, high school, I did a pretty good job of keeping myself involved. I would work for my grandfather every summer. Um, now, was I doing a lot of involvement with actual hiking at that point? Yes and no. Um, my dad always did a, a really good job of inviting me along if he would ever go on like really big hikes, which he loved to do. Um, and I want to, he is one of the biggest reasons why I ever got involved with outdoor education and skills and all of that because I would see my dad going on these super long hikes and I'd want to do something like that. Um, was, there ever, was there ever a moment where he was like, no, you're not ready for this yet? Did he, did he Mr. Miyagi you in any way? I think I would say no. And no. that's because we had a really interesting experience when I was pretty young. Okay. Um, I, was, I think I was seven. Let's see. It was right before we announced the invasion to Iraq, which would be 2001, right? 2003. Was it 2003? Okay. Yeah. So I was doing math horribly. Nine. Okay. I was nine. Eight or nine. And we went for a hike at the Tri-State Park in between Rhode Island, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. And it was an older area. It had been around for a while, you know, it as were some of the guidebooks. And so we get out there, and we are hiking for about an hour, two hours, and we're starting to get really tired as kids. You know, I've got my sister, who was two years younger than me at the time, uh, my best friend, who was my age, uh, and his two younger brothers, who were my sister's age. And it's my dad and his dad, my best friend's dad, leading us, and they're looking at the book, and they're turning around, and oh God. They're, they're turning, and... <laughs> And like I think it was like two or two hours more, and we're like, guys, we're dads, we're so tired. What's going on? They're like, we're uh, we're we're lost. Oh my god! <laughs> and so you know, this is the time, of course, when cell phones aren't as prominent. Getting service is harder. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, I think my dad's phone had very minimal battery left, and he managed to get a call to my mom, like finally. And it was around the time it was starting to get dark because it was in. September, mm-hmm. and we're <laughs> we're sitting there, all wrapped up, the kids in a survival blanket, passing a whistle down the line to blow on as the adults had a fire going. Um, we were in a clearing, uh, and they're just yelling help constantly. This is like almost a full-scale survival situation. Almost, yeah. yeah. Um, to the point where when they finally found us, it was trucks coming through, like, the forest. Like, so, wait, who's they? they uh, found. Uh, rescue, rescuers. Re- uh, oh, wow. So oh, it's yeah. actually SNR. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, right, yeah. Holy hell, you had search and rescue. We had search and rescue you. come out and get us. And 
by the time they found us, I think it was close to 11 at night. By the time they finally got us out, because getting the trucks through those trails was really tough, it was probably about midnight. Yeah. Um, and the only reason we didn't make the news is because the day after was that announcement of oh, the invasion of right. Iraq. Yep. It okay. was the only reason we didn't make the news, because otherwise there was nothing going on. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, how did that feel as a kid? Like, w- did you feel like there was panic? Did you, kn- like, no, being, no, well, knowing that you were lost, was there feelings of like, nah, I'm like, we're going to be fine, or what, what was going through your head? I was hungry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what about your friends <laughs> and your little sister? My sister was freaked out. I didn't really get freaked out by that kind of stuff. I think there was definitely moments of like, man... This is real. Yeah. You know, but I, but I never dwelled on that kind of stuff. Like I said, I, I had a, a decent amount of attention things as a kid going on. So I was constantly like, well, that was a thought. Off to the next, you know. Yeah. Um, I think my friend was really good at uh, keeping people distracted. He could talk for hours, and he still can. Um, and so it was actually very helpful in that particular situation to be able to just listen to him talk and, like, I, I find, I'm God, I can't remember exactly what it was. We were going through some sort of like fantasy esque situation where I was like controlling my actions, and he was like, it was almost like a D and D esque feel where uh-huh. he was just like running through this stuff, and I was like, "What? Well, what do you want to do about this?" Uh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So I, you kind of turned the little opportunity. Well, you made it an opportunity to get your attention away from the fact that it was a real situation that you know. A normal person would experience fear in. I like that. That's exactly what we tell our kids at the school is to perceive it as like a little mini vacation of, well, I'm out here and I'm going to make the best of this uh, quote unquote adventure. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And and I think one thing that definitely helped with that is, and, and this is just me being bluntly honest about how I was as a kid, I was pretty oblivious. Yeah. Um, like, I, I definitely don't think... I ever fully grasped until later on the gravity of the situation that we were actually in. Well, ha- did you ever talk with your dad later on in life about what he felt and was he actually terrified? No, I don't think he was afraid. Um, I think we've talked about it. Um, I have a really poor memory though, so I'm failing to recall exactly what it was that he was saying off the top of his head. Um, you know, he he and my, my friend's dad, you know, they, they handled it themselves quite well. Yeah. Uh, after... You know, he he he'd gone hiking multiple multitude of times um, to the point where I think they'd even hiked part of the Appalachian Trail. Um, so it wasn't like it was a foreign concept for them to be out somewhere where it's colder than you might want to be in a situation that's not ideal. You know, we had small snacks with us. Yeah. We just didn't have a lot to go around because we weren't expecting to be out there for so long. Sure. Um, but it was an absolutely fascinating experience to be in. Yeah. Um, and it's actually a really great example to talk to the kids about, about making sure that your resources are completely up to date and that you are able to figure your way out of these kinds of situations. You, yeah. you need to be able to identify like, hey, I don't recognize where I am right now. Maybe I should start paying more attention to where I'm going. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't take the right turn there. Maybe I should backtrack a little bit. Or what do you do when you get lost? Is right. it getting cold? Do you need to find a place to, to put a shelter up, build a debris hut? Right. You know? So all those things are exactly, you know, what go th- what we want going through these kids' head at the program. And we want them to have real-world opportunities to do this in a controlled situation. So that's why I like giving them the time limits. And that's why I like saying, all right, you know, going to blast your shelter with this bucket of water when you're done with it because <laughs> <laughs> we're going to see how how well you stay dry because that's the real world and I I think it's like anything I mean you're you come from a martial arts background mm-hmm. and you understand the concept that the more it becomes like muscle memory the easier it becomes it's just like anything in life like you yeah you know I mean I don't know riding practice a bike makes perfect practice, practice makes perfect that's right so you um, got out of high school, and where did you go to college? University of New Haven. And what did you do there? Studied psychology. Yeah. And what you want to do? You were young. What did you want to do? So towards the end of my high school career, I had very much become invested in those crime scene shows. Oh, yeah. And Me too. In my senior <laughs> year of college. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, it was at their I'm peak. Sti- I'm not going to lie. I'm still addicted to those. <laughs> I just watched a really good one the other night. I'll tell you about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the thing was is, like, I 
during my senior year of high school as well, I took, during my first and second semester, uh, a psychology course. And the show that was big at that particular time, I think, was Criminal Minds. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ooh, I want to be like them. I want to be able to criminally analyze anybody. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really glorified mm -hmm. in the TV shows. It, it's not oh, that. Of course. Well, I mean, of course. But, you know, being a 16, 17-year-old kid, I didn't grasp that concept. Yeah. I was still pretty oblivious at that point. Um, I think you can get good at that. There's an awesome book. Uh, called The Art of Profiling by this guy, Dan Karem, I believe. And he's one of the, you know, FBI analysts for, you know, profiling people. And there are some very simplistic ways in that book that you can use to break down situations of people who potentially could be, you know, doing dangerous and things and all that. But, yeah, I, I, I was very fascinated by that stuff, too. And I think that's what brought me hardcore into the world of wildlife tracking. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know how these animals were out there living their life. So you get into these shows, you go to college for psychology. Yep, and, and the reason I, I ended up at the University of New Haven is um, it is where Henry C. Lee is based out of. He teaches there. Uh, Henry C. Lee, for anybody who doesn't know, is the guy who was running all of the forensics in... Oh, God, why am I pulling a blank right now? Uh, super high-profile case. Um, guy who killed his wife or something. Wait, wait, when was this? Back in the early 2000s? I'm, I'm going to look this up because I'm, I'm just kicking myself for completely forgetting this right now. Yeah, that's okay. There's a lot of cases out there. We just watched this one about a guy who was kidnapped when he was seven. And for seven years, he was held captive. And all of a sudden, the guy who kidnapped him, I guess, got another little boy. And this 14-year-old boy who was held captive for seven years was like, no, sir. And uh, grabbed the little boy and escaped one day. Now, the weird thing about this is, spoiler alert, everybody here, uh, what goes on to happen is the guy has a brother and the brother feels like jaded by the whole situation that his brother who was kidnapped at seven and basically tortured for seven years uh was a hero because this little boy that he rescued mm. so the brother goes on to do some craziness and now i'm not gonna say more but it's insane that it all tied back so like this poor family right this poor family who had this miserable unfortunate set of circumstances where their child was kidnapped now they had to go back and deal with this whole other situation and oh they thought God. Like, putting it all to rest and now it's all engraved and oh man crazy stuff anyways i was big and i'm still big into those shows so that's the one we just watched oj simpson's trial Oh, okay. OJ. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, well, that's how could I'm you not remember that? What? I know. You're not a millennial. <laughs> I'm also, like, it's been a while since I, for, you know, even thought about this kind of stuff. Sure. But, you know. Um, but, yeah, so I got there, and freshman year, you know, there's, like, nothing to hike in. I'm in, like, the heart of downtown West Haven, even though it's called the University of New Haven. Um and so, you know, I spent a lot of that freshman year just on campus, like not really leaving that much, not really doing too much other than classes. And I hated it. I hated the criminal justice side of things because it was just law after law after study of law. And I, I found myself so bored by it. Um, and so I ended up just dropping the criminal psychology portion of it, and it just became psychology. And I kind of continued that on through the rest of my, my college career. And I actually think I hit a point during my junior year where I <laughs> was writing a paper and I just like broke down, just like crying. And I called my parents at like three in the morning. I was like, I don't want to do psychology anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and not that I didn't like it. I still find it super fascinating, but it was just, I realized through this particular class that it wasn't what I wanted to spend my life doing. Yeah. You know, and not that it's, not that it's not the right career path for somebody else. It's incredibly important and massively impactful in society today. But I realized, like, 
it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. I didn't want to be in an office. I just didn't know what I wanted to do yet. Yeah. You know, I could, I just, sitting there for me, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a really empathic individual. And I pick up on so much, and I wear everything on my sleeve. And I just don't think I could fit in that kind of an environment where you need to be just, like, stonewalled, mm-hmm. like, cut off from these people that you're trying to help. I can't, that just seems so weird to me. Like, anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought I could do it, too. I tried to study that stuff and go down that road, and I think you're right. It takes a lot of uh, ability to just put aside your emotions and you know just be objective, and it's it's I, I, I couldn't imagine what that would be like. But also, you know, like you said, it's it's fascinating, and there's a part of you that, regardless of what the work looks like you get drawn into it is it but what you said is interesting you said that because of that class you didn't want to continue and isn't that that's interesting to me is how one teacher you know because we're teachers how one teacher can change your perception of a subject right or your excitement or your inability to you know, connect to a subject all through one teacher. Like I remember science uh, growing up and it was just super, eh, whatever. But then I finally had this seventh grade teacher named Mr. Coslett uh, at Deer Park Middle School and it was just epic, you know? Like I really was like, okay. And it was how he presented it. So I don't know. I, I think uh, maybe that professor needed some more posters in his uh, lecture hall about like, I think the you're 100% CSI right. stuff. All right, <laughs> this is what you're going to be doing, right? Like, that's how the army tries to sell it to you. Right? Oh, yeah, you're yeah. You're going to be invading and recon and all this tactical gear, and then you end up, like, scrubbing a mess all, and you're like, shit. <laughs> 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 and then that's you. No, so, but, you know, it, it wasn't so much the, the what the teacher was presenting. Like, their way of presenting it was actually fantastic. You know? Yeah. Um, it was the realization of what it was I was actually going to be doing. Yeah. That was, that was what stopped me from wanting to do it. And it's, it's mostly because, you know, this person was obviously, my teacher, she was obviously a very good psychologist. You know, she'd been doing it for a very long time. Um, but she talked about one particular experience where her, the person she was working with fell in love with her. Mm. Yeah, and it's never good. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, that wasn't even something that I'd even considered being a possibility. Like, y- these people are coming to you as a psychologist. And yeah, they dude, might be building. Time. Yeah, they might be building this, like, rapport with you. And they might view you in this light. And you're just like, you're just a client to me. But, like, yeah. like having to, to separate that, I was like, can't do that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't like I didn't still find it fascinating. Like, hearing her stories was great. But I still, I was like, no. Yeah. Well, then you get to the next level, right, where you're like a psychologist and you're going into prisons and then you start helping the prisons escape. Like that, that's what's <laughs> on the news right now. I think that's in Arizona. That lady is. is it really? Yeah. There's a lady oh who's goodness. helped. Uh, I think she was like actually the assistant director to some program or the prison itself or something. And she helps some inmate escape. And it's crazy, right? But um, I, I know it's how the you know view of the world kind of comes through the lens i think for people through other people so we want to get into their head and see how are they viewing the world because like how we view the world is obviously different so you know what's going on and i'm so intrigued by that too so i think it's just a part of human nature and and why that it maybe it's just culture uh western culture but uh i'm definitely intrigued by why people do the things that they do I mean, yeah, yeah. People are fascinating individuals. Uh, e- there's so many of us at this point that there that people be can be so nuanced in ways that you wouldn't even imagine. Yeah, you know, they say that there's three people in an actual person. Really? There is, yeah. So there is you, who you are as a person, and then there's how you view yourself. Oh, okay. And then there's how other people view you. Whoa. So there's yeah, makes three sense. levels to to like a person and it's not even something that people realize a lot. Yeah. 
That's interesting. And I'm always trying to figure that out with the kids too. And, you know, why are they doing that? Like, why are they doing what they're doing? And that to me, I'm like, it's so puzzling. You'll never know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you think about it and you're like, uh. Well, you can even ask them and then they'll sit there and be like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Just give like, you like well, the blankest look. But like, I, I remember being a kid and I remember doing that too. Oh, I who doesn't? My parents being like, why'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know. It makes me think yeah. of a Calvin and Hobbes comic where he's uh, hammering <laughs> hammering nails into the coffee table, oh, and his no. mom runs in and goes, what are you doing? He, he, he just, like, stares at the table, and then it shows, like, a little asterisk above his head, and he's like, what was the question again? Yeah, he has no idea. <laughs> he has no idea. Yeah, I, I definitely did stuff like that. Um, bec- I think you just want, not necessarily to see what's going to happen, but I did. I took apart you know, my little uh, electronic RC cars mm-hmm. and I took apart my little Estes rockets and tried to, you know, make little like, firecrackers for myself. And yeah, and I think it's fine, but I, I just want kids to be able to do it in an environment where there's somebody nearby that's like, I've done that before. Like, let me show you how to not blow your hand off. Yeah. You know, yeah, like I've, <laughs> yeah. Maybe don't look directly at the rocket that's lit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> And we've done all those things as as kids growing up, but again, I'm I'm always still perplexed when the behavior's there. I'm like, why the heck are they doing that? But yeah, so you get out of college, and yep. what happens then? You start I working. I, I did what I like to call floundering. Oh yeah, yeah, where I just kind of like did whatever happened upon me, and for a while. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, right, directly out of college, I think I actually hit a period where I was like dealing with some pretty depressive states because of um, just a slew of people who'd been in my life that like I had really given a lot to, and then they just like either disappeared or hurt me in mm. response. Um, and so I hit like a pretty low point, and I was just working at like a I was a waiter for a little bit at a restaurant. Um, couldn't actually tell you what I was enjoying at the time because I think I was trying to start a YouTube channel because in college I'd gotten really into video games and I was trying to start a channel with that and I was dedicating way too much time to that and not to like actually being outdoors or doing anything that was actually really meaningful to me and it's almost like that aspect of like trying to hold on to sand Mm -hmm. where like the stronger you tighten your grip on something the more you lose the Mm. more it slips through your fingers and i was just losing like everything and finally i i was approached by one of my karate friends who i grew up with and she was like you know i've got a job uh at a hotel just working the front desk um you know i know you've got people skills um why don't you just come work there and as much as it wasn't like best job in the world like that job definitely turned my life around because I finally had like a solid income I was working 40 hours a week you know I felt like I, I was actually like doing something meaningful for the first time in a while because I, I hadn't been um, and it was just getting me it was like my first steps back on like the right path if that makes sense yeah um, because I felt like I hadn't been on it for a while um and I stayed in hotels for a while. I actually stayed in that hotel for almost a year and almost a year and a half, um, maybe a little bit more. And they went through some change of management, and I kind of realized with the, the new managers, didn't really want to stay with that particular uh, hotel. Not that they were bad. It's just that I felt like the reasons they let go of their previous manager were not founded because he was doing a good job in my eyes. Mm. Um, I And I just couldn't find myself, like, connecting with any of the staff there as much anymore, with the exception of one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I left. Um, I actually applied for a job at the Roger Williams Park Zoo. Uh, and it was... I was awful at it. I went into group sales. And, like, I just wanted to be working somewhere that I loved, which was the zoo. And... What is group sales? So group sales is the sales of 
field trips, uh, oh. birthday parties, oh. all that kind of stuff for Big the groups. zoo. Okay, got it. Big groups, I, I'm yeah. With you now. I was and like, wait, what? <laughs> the working with the admissions people, they were all fantastic people. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them are incredibly skilled and, and amazing at what they do. Um, they were teaching me, and I just felt like I never was able to do what they wanted me to do. They just wanted you to bring in lots and lots of schools so and other I organizations to frequent the zoo. It's hard to explain. Or, yeah, cause visit the zoo. It, uh, the official title was group sales coordinator, and there was a group sales manager, um, and she was the head. She was the person who kind of led all of that, like, Forging forward, finding new people. My job was to handle like the the backlog of everything, per se. Um, a lot of the more simplistic stuff, like the actual bringing in of the, or sorry, um, <clears throat> the actual like filing of the paperwork and getting everything all squared away and making sure all the i the t's were crossed and the i's were dotted. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's a poor representation of what it was I was actually doing, but I. I wasn't the right thing. Yeah, I, I I really didn't feel like I fitted in. Um, I wasn't I wasn't performing how they wanted me to be. Um, and after about six months, they actually let me go. Oh damn. Um, which you know what? It was it was a really hard lesson to learn. Um, but it was a really important lesson. I felt you know again there I was trying to force something to work. Um, and I should have just said you know what. I appreciate the opportunity, but it's not for me. I'm going to step out. But I think that's part of my stubbornness at times, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I, again, it taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. And the next time I, I went back to hotels um, for a bit. A different hotel this time. And um, I was there for, let's see, from October to... June, so like 10 months, mm-hmm. no, eight, nine months, nine months-ish. Um, it was it was nice being back in like a, an environment that I was familiar with. Um, I fit in really well. But again, I started to feel like something just wasn't quite fitting. And at that point, I actually decided I wanted to leave Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to, oh gosh, I was living in Providence at, at that time. Um I decided that I needed to get out of Rhode Island for a lot of reasons, but mostly because I felt like I was just trapped and kind of doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And I moved to Tennessee because my parents bought a brand new house there. Uh, They were going to retire to Tennessee on this beautiful farmland property, like 29 acres. And I get down there and it is, I mean, when I say it is in the middle of nowhere, it's like, the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's a beautiful small town, uh, but there was not a lot of opportunities jobs-wise where mm-hmm. I would have, like, what they were looking for other than, like, the restaurants or the hotels. Right. So where did I go? Yeah. Right back to hotels. Um, and that went on for about six more months, and I was trying to move to Austin because my girlfriend and I, we were long distance at the time. She was living down here, and I wanted to be down here with her. Um so I was looking, got a, got a job at a, <laughs> at a hotel down here, uh, left the hotel there, and then COVID hit. Yeah. And the job that I had gotten <coughs> here was like, sorry, the position is no longer available. Mm-hmm. Um, we cannot bring you on. Uh, that's just that. And so there I was left with no job and in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, with wanting to be down here in Austin. Um. And so I actually ended up working for my parents for a while. Um, they have, like I said, 29 acres of farmland. And I just started like, it, it, it had been disused for, or unused for about 10 years, disused. What were your, what was the farm, what was on it? Just wheat at the oh, time. Okay. Uh, grain, uh, wheat. And so. Was that y'all's intention? Sorry, not wheat. Hay. There it is. Um, my parents wanted something big. Mm. And so they actually weren't expecting to get a farm, but they found this property. My mom fell in love. And kind of what my mom falls in love with usually ends up being what my dad falls in love with because my mom's very persuasive. Yeah. Uh, 
but no, my, my dad also fell in love with the farm. Both of them were like, they went down there, visited and were like, this is where we want to be. Um, and they are there now. They love it. Um, it was about six more months after all that COVID started that my girlfriend applied for a job at Natureversity. Yeah. And then was like, you know what? Maybe being outdoors in the wintertime isn't what I'm interested <coughs> in. But I know someone who might like that. And uh, you you got recommended to reach out to me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I did. So thank you, Colleen. Yes. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, I was actually looking for uh, women because, yeah, we needed some balance. And, you know, I, when she was like, Oh, my boyfriend. I was like, oh, no. And uh, I was like, ah, it's okay. We'll figure it out. And uh, yeah, up, it, all, it all worked out. I ended up being the only guy on that staff for a yeah. while. Yeah, ironically enough, right? Other than you, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, that's good. And it definitely brought you to a point where you had this opportunity. Um, your background was working in uh Karate and things like that, uh, mentoring a teacher, yeah. kids, right? And so you came on board with us. And so now that you're here, um, what has been your favorite skill that you've been learning out here? Primitive woodworking. Yeah, like when you say that, you mean um, <clears throat> the construction of forts, buildings, yeah. Um, anything along those lines. Like it has really become so fascinating to me that you can cut these branches in a way where they all just interlock perfectly and make this beautiful home. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm still very new to this particular aspect of it, but just the wood carving and anything with a knife or tools that, that have to relate to carving of wood, I always feel like just like it, it feels natural. Yeah. It feels so 100% like I'm just going at it. It my my head is in it. I I'm not suffering from any like ADD, you know? I mean, I don't really deal with it as much anymore, but like it still pops up from time to time, but like just being outdoors in general really resolves that. Yeah. Um but on top of that like just anything with the kids. You know, being outdoors has been incredible. I feel so confident in my ability to survive in a survival situation now. Um, fire making, mm -hmm. uh, the collection of tinder, small sticks. I understand the concept of when you go out, you don't just grab like two sticks and come back. You grab yeah. as much as you can. <laughs> the kids always still do that. It's so <laughs> funny. I'm like, go get firewood. And they literally come back with one stick. I'm like, what? <sighs> okay. And, and what, did you, what was your contribution <laughs> to the fire? I put eight juniper berries in. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> I'll never, for, I'll never forget that. That was such a that good That was moment. the best moment ever. Um, yeah, they, there's a lot of skills that we want all these kids to learn. And I think woodworking is the one that I feel is a great point to go into the naturalist. And the reason why is because at some point when you're carving and you're doing all this woodworking, I think you want to know what you're carving on. You want to know, like... What is the, is this the same? Maybe maybe this is just me and I'm projecting. I wanted to know: uh, is this the same when it's green? This wood as when it's dead? Like, mm -hmm. is it the same when you know it grows in a different place? Like, is it this pretty? Because you know we have junipers and then there's junipers in other places, and uh, we ours here is kind of like a cream and like a you know mahogany looking red. But I've seen some that are like purple and super rich orange and I'm just like oh man so it brought me into the world of the naturalist which I feel I started to get like I want to know all these trees because in some way shape or form when the kids pick up something that I carved I want them to I want to be able to tell them this is exactly what it's made out of mm -hmm. and just bring it to that next layer and then I got into okay well now these trees are out here and I'm like seeing squirrels and birds and all these other things so I'm like okay now I'm interested in that like what are am I going to go with this? So the birds pulled you into uh, uh, feathers with flight and arrow making, and it just keeps going and going and going. So I think woodworking is a great it's one. It's all connected. Yeah, it's all connected. Isn't that so amazing? No matter where, where 
what avenue or route you take, it always leads back. It has been fascinating to see as I've kind of been doing a lot of woodworking more recently in particular, you know, which bark around here is the best to work with. You know, my, my mind jumped to, wow, we have so many ash juniper trees around here. Why not just try start working with those? And like, I instantly realized how much of a pain in the ass they are. Yeah. Because they don't grow like l- linearly. They're yeah. like all over the place on mm-hmm. the interior. You're like, what? how am I supposed to split this evenly in half? You don't. No, bandsaw. That's ba- yeah, bandsaw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll split it. You just cut it. Um, yeah, the junipers around here are so gorgeous. And I just love that smell. And I can oh, smell, they smell incredible smell all day long. That's why I love having the tinder bundles of, of ash yeah. juniper bark. It had to have been ceremonial and sacred and all that stuff back when, because it, it just seems like something that I would want during like a, a celebration. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to smell that. So, <clears throat> yeah. So with everything going on now, um, we're at the end of our school year mm. and we're about to start up summer camps. Crazy to think. I know. Right. And, uh, yeah. What are you looking forward to in summer camps? Tell us what happened last summer. <laughs> this uh, is going to be fun. First day of summer camps, man. We're, you know, we went through the whole training. Uh, we'd had, we'd had some like people come on, try it out and then go at the end of the training. No, not for us. So we were like, we were just set on like staff members. You know, we had the right number and mm-hmm. I will never forget just having fun with the kids on day one. I, I had been thinking to myself like, man, I, I should have brought my bathing suit. I figured we'd be by the water cause that's where we were. And all the kids were getting in and they're like, you should get in. I'm like, I just, I have like brand new, like really nice shorts on. I was yeah. like, you know, I don't want to get in the water with them. It's, from Ladybird Lake, it's a little gross sometimes, you know. Um, but you know, I, I tossed that all to the side. I was like, "Whatever, you're in the you're in the woods. Why do you care? You know, you can go wash it if you really are that worried about it." And um, so we had built this mud slip and slide into the water with the kids, just just for some fun. After they built, I think it was debris huts, right? We had done debris huts that morning, yeah. Yeah. And. Um, the little mini shelters. The little mini ones, not big ones, right? Yeah. We, we had to put their hands underneath it. Forts and fairy houses. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I had been standing with like a foot kind of in the water and like pulling them down it and like launching them in really fast. And they were like, uh, you know, a lot of the kids were like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And so they were just kind of half running and sliding. And I was like, guys, watch this. And so I get like a nice, oh. I get this nice running start and I get to right where it's about to start being slippery and my foot hits like I think it was just a patch of air just a a very loose sand my right foot which is my dominant one of course and it just bends backwards (laughs) and like I'm in I'm in serious pain and I can't like hold myself up so I just I ended up falling forward onto my side and I just slid and dropped Mm. into the water (laughs) right down the slip aside like I'd been planning just in a lot of pain. Yeah, and I was there, and I just remember you coming up to me and being like, hey, I hurt my foot. And I was like, oh, just take a break. Like, <laughs> I didn't realize, like, and what was funny is I saw you playing with the kids and doing all that, but I don't think I saw you run and actually hurt yourself, but well, I, the, I was crazy. I was like, oh, no, well, I think it's actually hurt. The kids had no idea that I hurt myself. They thought it was all done on purpose because I was like, hey, watch this, and then I, like, fall on my side uh, and slide in, so I get in the water, and they're, like, <laughs> pounding on my back, like, that was awesome, and oh I'm, my like, um, my head's underwater, crazy. and I'm, like, screaming curse words into the water where they can't hear me because I'm in so much pain. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I only did that once, I swear. <laughs> Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the old risk versus reward Mm -hmm. discussion that we constantly (laughs) are having about what is the risk here and what is the reward. But I'm I'm totally in that moment, too, with the kids, and I think that's so appropriate to be, which is um, where their energy's at and when they're getting all rowdy and sliding and jumping. And, yeah, you want to engage with them and show them, like, yeah, as adults, like, that's also okay to do, and we're Mm -hmm. here to have fun. And so I... You know, I feel that's appropriate. You're like, yeah, watch this. And then just accidents happen. So you were gone all summer long it after was that. the worst. After day one. A, yeah, day, day one. one. It was the worst, I think, summer I've ever had. Um, and that's like, there's, there's nothing, nothing beats that. Like, it was not bad, 
per se, but like having gone from being outside all year, all school year, to having to just be like the 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 actual fracture itself was a super weird fracture where your arch meets your heel, mm. and it just takes two months, if not two yeah. and a half months, for your foot to be fully recovered to the point where you can start putting weight on it. Yeah. And like we have a we have a small apartment, but we also have stairs, and that's the only way it. Not the only way, but like the other one's just a super long, like roundabout yeah, walkway. Yeah. Um, so leaving the apartment was just such a pain in the butt. I basically just spent the whole time cooped up and I felt like I was going crazy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was interesting because it was like after COVID. Yeah. So it was like, oh, yeah. why couldn't this have lined <laughs> up back then? You know, right? That would have been perfect. Would have been really convenient, actually. Yeah. Um, but we were okay. We had, um, you know, a couple more staff come on and save us from you being gone. And uh, it was a good summer. And we're about to do it again. And I'm so, excited to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, don't do anything crazy on the I don't day. plan on it. <laughs> I really don't plan on it. No, that's okay. Um, well, I'm excited to see what more. We're, we're going to continue through the summer and into next year. And we're changing a lot of things. And we're growing. And... Yeah, we're going to keep doing these podcasts, so I'm excited to have our teachers on, and this is Cameron Johnson, everybody, and he is our Owls slash Eagles instructor, which our Eagles are ages 10 to 12, and our Owls are ages 13 to 16 at Natureversity Outdoor School located in Austin, Texas, so... Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Yeah. This was a blast. This will be... We'll do this again and again and again, because that's just what I want to do. Have yeah. all the parents here, what it is that you want to share with the world and it really gets a chance I think for them to hear you and know you and that's what I want is I want depth to the school and how you know even the kids if they're I don't know sometimes these things aren't <laughs> I want the parents to listen to them more than the kids obviously because <laughs> uh, I'm not the most appropriate person all the time when I'm away from kids because I have to be when I'm with the kids right um, but anyway it's hard to turn off though once you're in that habit, you know. Oh, don't see, don't don't do that. Well, you no, I'm not saying habit. Uh, I'm just saying I I definitely swear less ever since I. Oh yeah, like, yeah, you definitely do. It's just like toned right down, like. Right, <laughs> that's good. That's good. So, um, yeah, thanks for for being here and spending uh, an hour with us chatting. My pleasure, man. Yeah. All right, everybody. We will see you next time. Take care. Bye, everybody. <laughs>